Welcome to our ongoing series sponsored by Catholic Church Reform International. I'm your moderator, Rini Reed. Today, I'd like to introduce you to love, sex, and the joy of Amoris Laetitia, as presented by Daniel Patrick Horan. Father Horan is an American Franciscan, Roman Catholic priest, theologian, and author. In this episode of The Joy of Love, he explores the introduction to Pope Francis' post-synodal papal exhortation. Pope Francis's groundbreaking new document, Amoris Laetitia, The Joy of Love, asked the church to meet people where they are, consider the complexities of people's lives, and respect people's consciences when it comes to moral decisions. The Apostolic Exhortation is mainly a document that reflects on and encourages families. But it is also the Pope's reminder that the church should avoid simply judging people and imposing rules on them without considering their struggles. His goal is to help families, in fact everyone, experience God's love. All this may require what the Pope calls new pastoral methods. So let's look at the top five takeaways from Amoris Laetitia. The church needs to understand families and individuals in all their complexity. The church needs to meet people where they are. So pastors should avoid judgments that don't take into account the complexity of various situations. In other words, one size does not fit all, and black and white thinking is not helpful. People are encouraged to live by the gospel, but they should also be welcomed into a church that appreciates their struggles and treats them with mercy. Overall, Pope Francis calls for an approach of accompaniment. The role of conscience is paramount in decision-making. Individual conscience needs to be better incorporated into the church's practice. In other words, the traditional belief that conscience is the final arbiter of the moral life needs to be recovered. The church is supposed to form consciences, not to replace them, says the Pope. And while it is true a person's conscience needs to be formed by church teaching, our conscience does much more than just follow rules. Conscience also recognizes with a certain moral security what God asks of us. Divorced and remarried Catholics should be more fully integrated into the church. Divorced and remarried people are not excommunicated. Rather, they are members of our church. We can help them feel more welcome in the church in a few pastoral ways, says the Pope. By looking at the specifics of their situation, by having priests counsel them privately in what's called an internal forum, and by respecting that the final decision about their level of participation in the church is ultimately left to their conscience. We should no longer talk about people living in sin. In a sense reflecting a new approach, the Pope says, it can no longer simply be said that those living in irregular situations are living in a state of mortal sin. Other members of non-traditional families, like single mothers, need to be offered understanding, comfort, and acceptance. When it comes to these people, the Church needs to stop applying moral laws as if, in the Pope's vivid words, they were stones to throw at a person's life. Traditional teachings on marriage are affirmed, but the Church should not burden people with unrealistic expectations. As the Church has always taught, marriage is between one man and one woman. Marriage is indissoluble, and same-sex marriage is not considered. At the same time, the Church has often put upon people what Francis calls 
an artificial theological ideal of marriage that is removed from people's everyday lives. At times, these ideals have been a tremendous burden, and to that end, priests need to be better trained to understand the complexities of people's married lives. Overall, Amoris Laetitia asks the church to help families of every sort and people in every state of life. They need to know that even in their imperfections, they can be homes for God's love, as well as places where people will experience that love. The new apostolic exhortation offers a vision of a pastoral and merciful church that welcomes and encourages families and all people to experience the joy of love. The joy of love experienced by families is also the joy of the Church. This is how Pope Francis opens his apostolic exhortation, The Joy of Love. Now this is the long-anticipated, the, the much-expected document that Pope Francis has authored and published recently, following the two synods of bishops that took place in the falls of 2014 and 2015 in Rome. A Synod of Bishops is a gathering of bishops that represent all areas, uh, geographic areas of the church. So you have people, you have bishops coming in from all over the world, and you also bring in uh, observers and consultants. So there's a lot of potential for dialogue and conversation. Each of these synods is typically focused on a theme, and this theme unusual actually in many cases because we have two synods back to back year after year that focus on the exact same theme and that's family life. Pressing issues, concerns, uh, uncertainties uh, about family life both in terms of doctrine, in terms of social justice, in terms of ethics and morality, in terms of pastoral care. This was the focus, the concern of the Synod of Bishops in 2014 and 2015. This apostolic exhortation is rather remarkable in, in many ways. First, many people have commented on the fact that it's so long. Uh, it is, in fact. According to the Vatican Publishing House standards, it's about 325 paragraphs, which is how uh, these documents are organized because they have to be translated into so many languages. Page numbers then become very complicated. In the English translation, it numbers beyond 250 pages, so it's a lengthy text. But within it, there is just a tremendous amount of information that is worthy of reflection, of consideration, of prayerful re, uh, reflection and sharing, and it challenges us to consider uh, a number of very important issues that face uh, the family in particular and the world in general. In this episode, I want to just mention very briefly some of the key elements in the introductory paragraphs of this apostolic exhortation, and that includes paragraphs 1 through 7. You may have heard a certain resonance or echo between the Second Vatican Council document, Gaudium et Spes's opening, and the opening of the apostolic exhortation. I don't think this is accidental. What Pope Francis, I think, is capturing here, what he's drawing our attention to as individuals and as the community of faith, is that that which affects particular members of the body of Christ, individual men and women, uh, local communities, the family and the like, these are concerns, these are issues and matters that affect the whole body of Christ, the whole church. In that vein, 
Pope Francis was very keen to take a look at what are the pressing issues, the major concerns that affect the family today. For this reason, he solicited the opinions, the feedback, the uh, experience, narratives of experience of people from all around the world, including the bishops sent to represent them. In these synods, in 2014 and 2015, Pope Francis and those who were gathered debated, they discussed, they reflected on some of these pressing concerns. And Pope Francis says at the outset of this exhortation that these were indeed a complexity of issues. It was uh, not an easy thing to kind of decipher. There are many, many pressing concerns that face the people of God today. And yet, he said, this exhortation and the work of the synods isn't sufficient to take care of all of these concerns, to address them directly. In fact, he says that it's still the responsibility of church leaders and theologians to deal with, to reflect upon, and to investigate further a number of these open discussions that are in need of clarification. Pope Francis begins by kind of setting the tone for how we should read uh, the rest of the text. He gives us a lens through which to read uh, the following nine chapters. And one of the first clues that he gives us is a statement in which he says that not all issues that are doctrinal or moral or pastoral should be settled necessarily by the intervention of magisterium. That means he's advocating here for maybe a uh, to put it in kind of a popular uh, idiom, a, a grassroots way of dealing with some of the concerns that face the people of God today. Uh, in language that is much more theological or churchy, we might say, he's advocating here for a sense of collegiality and subsidiarity. In other words, it's not the responsibility, it's not the mission or purpose of the Bishop of Rome or a select number of, uh, let's say, bishops to make decisions on all of these doctrinal, moral, and pastoral issues for the entire world. And Pope Francis says there's a very good reason for this. We have to take into consideration the fact that we are a contextual people. We all live in history and in time, in certain places, with certain cultures, with certain uh, realities that are both at times blessings and struggles that uh, cannot be addressed with a one-size-fits-all sort of solution. Many of the problems or the questions or the concerns that face the family today, well, these are things that cannot be solved by a universal kind of fix-it-all. And Pope Francis begins this text by making it clear that that's not his intention. We can't operate that way. And far too often in the past, uh, those who have held the office that he does as Bishop of Rome, that is the Pope, may have thought that way and thought that that was what was best for the church. And it's nothing against them. Pope Francis doesn't at all, in fact, critique his predecessors. In fact, he builds on their teaching, on, on their great work and contributions. But he wants to caution us in moving forward that this is not a helpful approach, that we should celebrate cultural, ethnic, racial, linguistical uh, diversity and that we should be mindful of the fact that everybody's experience is not the same and that the rich cultural heritages of so many people vary from place to place and must be taken into consideration when dealing with these pressing doctrinal, moral, and pastoral issues. One of the interesting things that Pope Francis does here in the opening too uh, is tie this exhortation and the work of the synods to this jubilee year of mercy. 
And we should keep that in mind as we go forward and reflect on the content of this apostolic exhortation that mercy will again and again play a very significant role as it has in Pope Francis's own teaching and catechesis, his pastoral reflections and homilies and his actions as well, as it does in fact in all of the gospel as Jesus relates to those uh, with whom he has an encounter. It's always an action, a word, an experience that reflects and reveals the compassionate and merciful face of God. Finally, after giving something of a quick overview of what each, what each of the chapters that follows contains, Pope Francis offers this very helpful remark, one that I will take to heart and I hope you do as well. And that's with regard to this text, and in perhaps an eye toward how long it is and how um, rich it is, he says that I do not recommend a rushed reading of this text. He encourages readers, you and me, those who are going to ponder and reflect, study and pray about this text, to slow down, to take it piece by piece, to maybe go back and to reread and to reflect and to pray, to discuss it with one another. And in that spirit, this video series is offered to you to help slow down a reading of this text. I encourage everybody to read it yourself. It's available in many languages on the internet uh, through the Vatican website and, and shortly it'll be available, I'm sure, in print form. But in addition to our reading of the text in a literal way, let us ponder, reflect, and discuss with one another the text in the spirit of Pope Francis, who cautions us to not rush but to let the richness sink in, to let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts, to allow ourselves to consider what, as the uh, Second Vatican Council document, Gaudium et Spes says, are the signs of the time, and that we should judge these, we should evaluate these and respond to them in the light of the gospel. The gospel, of course, which bears at its heart a spirit of God's mercy. I thank you for watching this very brief introductory video and encourage you to stay tuned to subscribe and see what comes. It's going to be quite a journey as we take seriously Pope Francis's invitation to look at these difficult and complex challenges in our time, to reflect on our faith and to apply them in a pastoral and loving, merciful way. May the Lord give you peace. In this segment, Josh Elliott interviews Candace Moss, a theologian and professor of the New Testament at Catholic University on Amoris Laetitia. Francis and the church he leads are working to bring millions of Catholics back to it. 
with a new document on love, sex, marriage, and family issues. It is a 256-page report of sorts called the Amoris Laetitia, which is Latin for the joy of love. Uh, it's been compiled, really, uh, over the past two years as the pontiff interviewed the world's bishops and looked to examine and study cultures and practices among Catholics all over the world. In the report, Pope Francis did a lot, including stressing the importance of not casting judgment. The document also includes details regarding birth control, LGBT issues, and a possible loophole about divorced people and how they do or do not receive Holy Communion. Canada DeMoss is a professor of New Testament at Notre Dame. Lots to get to, uh, virtually impossible to do it in our segment, but we'll try. Uh, you studied this document. There are a lot of takeaways here, however, perhaps hidden, but what were the biggest for you? I think the biggest takeaway is that Francis is making marriage and love a real practical issue. He's intensely pragmatic and goes into exquisite detail about the problems facing married couples. So he doesn't want love to be this abstract, dogmatic ideal. He really addresses people's lives. The big takeaways, there will be no marriage uh, for LGBT people. And there's a possibility that if you're divorced and remarried, you might be admitted back into full communion with the church. Again, this was two years in the making. And and he really sought uh, the opinions, uh, obviously, of the bishops the world over. There was concern that if he took too strong a stance one way or another, that we might see something of a civil war within the church itself. Is this placating then both sides of an issue? politically? Well, there's certainly something for everyone here. Yeah. There's been no doctrinal shifts, and he's repeatedly emphasized nothing has changed in teaching. It's all about pastoral tone. At the same time, there's something to irritate everyone. And you could see in the Vatican's reading guide that they're expecting pushback, both from the left and the right. You mentioned that there was a regional quality here. Um, to, do, to put it in perhaps American political terms, there was a sense of states' rights, mm -hmm. letting the region perhaps dictate the way parishes applied the doctrine. Is that a step in a different direction for the church? It might be. He said that not everything has to be determined by the magisterium, that is, in Rome at the Vatican. It can be determined in local communities by bishops and individual priests. And that's reminiscent of what happened in Vatican II, when now local priests are saying mass in their own language. So we see him giving power to the grassroots, giving power to local churches, and that could be the beginning of something progressive. It certainly seems thematically to, uh, to hew to, well, his rise, frankly, to pontiff, that the church seemed to be turning back to its roots, service to the poor, emphasizing uh, the basics, the fundamentals of, of the flock, if you will. Is there a sense then that they're looking to further dig those roots in with regard to how they view, uh, how they view the almost billion strong in this church? Certainly there is a turn back to roots and there's also a turn to the south. So many of the issues that he identified, things like affordable housing, migration, yeah. drugs, violence, these are issues that are affecting Catholics in developing countries in particular. So we see a lot of traditional Francis ministering to the margins of the church. Do you think that there is there's a chance that we will see uh, from this Pope any big steps then the left or to the right of any of these issues specific to, well, first uh, first of all, the, the idea of the Blessed Sacrament of Marriage. I know that he discussed the annulment in, in this document, but, you know, 
it's a term that I think a lot of people think they understand, but it's actually a very difficult process to, to undergo. It seems that the church in a way is worrying about itself as well, about its members, understanding that as divorce becomes more common, certainly in America where a great deal of its funding comes from, that there's a push to figure out a way to keep these people in the church. I think that's right, and they are streamlining that annulment process, making it easier, less complicated, and less expensive, which is important for people. And they actually explicitly say why in this document. It's about the children, access to the children who are the future of the church. And while Cardinal Dolan has said people aren't calling for full communion, uh, where we do see people caring is when we see that generation of divorced Americans aging and then dying, that's when it seems cruel, when they're excluded from the burial rights of the church. So I think this is about gathering people back in and especially reaching out to the Catholic youth. Again, we saw this released just uh, this morning by the Vatican at 256 pages strong. There will be lots to parse in the coming days. Professor Moss, we appreciate the time. Thank you. And in this segment, Dr. John Leonard is interviewed. He is a professor of religious studies at Edwidge College. Announcements on family life are receiving some mixed reaction among Catholics. And John Leonard is a professor and chair of religious studies at Edgewood College. John, welcome to Live at Four. Nice Thanks to for see being you, with John. us. Good to be here. So this was a he, he went and talked to the bishops, right, and got their feedback. Is that correct? Well, this is actually the result of two years of synods in, two, in 2014 and 15. There was an international synod on the family, and so this exhortation really is um, Francis's reflection on that input plus the whole tradition of the church's teaching about about marriage. So how and, groundbreaking a document is this? Well, it's um, a reiteration, as you pointed out earlier in, in the comments, uh, of church teaching. It still says, you know, the basic teachings are there. But what is very different here, and this is typical of Francis's approach, is a different tone. The emphasis moves from telling people these are the rules to this is what the church teaches. How can we help you how can we help everybody live towards these ideals in a way that takes into consideration the realities and the complexities of everybody's life? So for a divorced Catholic who's been withholding from communion, what would it mean? I mean, it's not a rush right now. They don't get to take communion Sunday, right? Right. What the Pope asks for in this exhortation is for pastors to consider the circumstances of everyone's life, and he reiterates something that's been part of uh, Catholic moral teaching clearly since the beginning, but, uh, but firmly with Thomas Aquinas that the, the role of conscience is reiterated and, and the Pope calls for, let's reintegrate that teaching about the inviolability of each person's conscience, that every person has to take into consideration what does the church teach, what are the situations uh, or the circumstances right here and right now, 
And therefore, what should I do? What is God calling me to do today in this instance? So the message you think has been consistent, it's an empathetic tone, but some people have expressed disappointment over the fact that the Pope has been very inclusive uh, with gays and lesbians, but would not go far enough as to say he would support same-sex marriage. Well, you have to be very careful how you read the language. It says the church cannot consider same-sex relationships as sacramental marriage. And that's different than saying we cannot support people where they are or who they are. We have to, in, we have to uh, reiterate, this is what the church teaches, this is our understanding. But at the same time, we are called to invite everyone to contribute what they have been given. It mentions um, very clearly that there are, um, in all, all irregular relationships, there is still something that the church can honor even if it doesn't meet the ideal there is in every relationship of love this is what what it's about anyway it's the joy of love and therefore even though you don't you don't meet all of these criteria according to the ideal nonetheless there is something that you have to share with the church and with the world because the world needs the love he really continues to be a different kind of pope in changing times, doesn't he? Well, really, the understanding of that moral teachings, and notice the word is teachings, for a long time the understanding has been just assumed the response, the proper response to a teaching is obedience. But that doesn't make sense. To be taught is to learn. And so what he's actually called for is uh, it reminded the church that our moral teachings, the tradition, is about teaching people, forming their consciences, not replacing their consciences. And so moral teachings are not stones to be used, to, this is a mighty phrase, it's not to be used as stones to hurl at people's lives because they haven't met the, the ideal, but rather these are teachings that, that are meant to to free us to imagine the possibilities of how can we love better? Even in this situation where we're broken, we're divorced, how can we love better? How can we, we make this world a better place because of our relationships? Well, John, thank you very much. Very we appreciate interesting. Your time yeah, we really appreciate College. your perspective. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thanks, Good John. to see thank you. Thank you.